Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This year, the United States plan to complete the withdrawal of their troops from Afghanistan after 13 years of warfare. The plan is to leave the country with a stable democracy, able to administer the country effectively itself. Some American troops, though, will remain for the purpose of training and counter-terrorism, probably stationed in Kandahar. This city was founded by, and thought to be named after, Alexander the Great, leader of the first Western army to have occupied the region. Alexander's 11-year campaign brought drastic changes to the Middle East, from the Mediterranean to Afghanistan and India, including a Greek-led, a so-called Hellenistic style of government that would last centuries. Welcome to A History of Europe, Key Battles, the Battle of Galgamela, also known as the Battle of Abella between the Greeks of Alexander and the Persians. Part 1 of 2 Last time we looked at our first key battle, namely the Battle of Marathon, when the ancient Greeks repelled an attack from the Persians. This success allowed them the freedom to develop the very rich culture centred on the city-state of Athens. I will now continue the story and very briefly go over the events of the next two centuries. With the Greeks' growing prosperity and confidence, they began to consider not only how to best defend themselves against any further incursion, but how they could exact revenge for Persian aggression. But what actually happened is that once the Asian threat had dissipated, the quarrelsome Greeks went back to their old ways of fighting among themselves. In 478 BC, an alliance of Greek city-states called the Delian League was founded under the leadership of Athens. It was supposed to have been put together to help fight Persia, but not long after its inception, it was becoming clear that Athens was actually using the League's navy to dominate its Greek neighbours. This led frequently to conflict between Athens and the less powerful members of the League, whenever they dared to complain about Athenian heavy-handedness. By 431 BC, Athens' alienation of other Greek states prompted the outbreak of what came to be known as the Peloponnesian War. This war lasted from 431 to 404 BC and was fought between Athens and Sparta with their respective allies. Eventually the Spartans came out on top and reduced Athens to a state of near-complete subjection. For a brief period of time, Sparta enjoyed supremacy within the Greek world, but war soon broke out again when other cities objected to perceived Spartan imperialism. This pattern repeated itself over the years in times of ever-shifting alliances and hostilities. Athens convinced its former enemies, Thebes and Corinth, to ally against Sparta, leading to another war from which Thebes emerged in the ascendancy, 
but yet again other Greek city-states resisted and now worked together against the Thebans to re-establish the balance of power. The struggle for supremacy among the Greeks had ended in a stalemate and in the end achieved nothing more than weakening each other and creating a vacuum of power. That void was unexpectedly filled by the kingdom of Macedonia. The relationship between Macedonia and Greece is sometimes compared to that between Scotland and England, that is to some extent showing a common identity but also being distinct. The ancient Greek attitude to the Macedonians is demonstrated by an incident in the ancient Pan-Hellenic Games at Olympia. Here, only those who could prove their Greek heritage were allowed to participate, and at first the Macedonians were refused. So the king of Macedon had to go to some lengths of providing details of his lineage before being allowed to join. The Greeks probably viewed their northern neighbours as a land of wild and uncouth barbarians, while in turn, Macedonians looked on the Greeks as soft. Indeed, everyday life was harder in Macedonia, because the climate was colder, and because their western and northern neighbours were often la launching devastating raids. Macedonian royal politics reached a crisis in 359 BC, following the king's death in a defeat to one of those neighbours, the Illyrians. In this moment of national emergency stepped forth Philip II, a man with enough charisma to persuade the most important Macedonian leaders to recognise him as king in place of other potential rivals. The country was then poorly disorganised, but Philip immediately established a professional army which he subjected to intensive training and kept mobilised not just in summer, as was the usual practice, but all year round. His ambition was to win political supremacy over Greece, using a mixture of diplomacy, bribery and military action. In 338 BC, he led his army southward, compelling the city-states of southern Greece including Thebes and Athens, to form a hasty alliance. The opposing forces met on the 4th of August at the Battle of Chironia, and the result was a resounding victory for the Macedonians, the right flank led by Philip and the left by his son Alexander. The defeated Greek states retained their internal political freedom, but they were coerced into joining an invasion force against Persia under Philip. The Greeks must have been in two minds, on the one hand happy in principle to be attacking their old enemy, but on the other less enthusiastic about being so compelled by a hated figure who had conquered and brutalised them. This was to be a turning point in Greek history. Never again would the city-states of Greece make foreign policy for themselves, without considering, and usually following, the wishes of outside powers. The combined Greek and Macedonian forces prepared for war on the Asian side of the Hellespont by modern-day Istanbul. But just as they were about to set off in 336 BC, Philip was assassinated. It was never found out who was behind this act, since the perpetrators were almost immediately executed. Some suspect Alexander was involved, but would never know for sure. Either way, the result was that he inherited from his father a strong kingdom and an experienced army poised for war against Persia.
since most of what we know about ancient Persia comes from Greek sources, we know little about what was happening there during this period, except for when they interacted with the Greeks. We do know that the Achaemenian dynasty of Cyrus, Darius and Xerxes continued in power, but had to deal with the occasional regional rebellion or disputed transfer of power. For almost all the first half of the 4th century, the king was Artaxerxes II. His reign from 404 to 358 BC oversaw a period of relative peace and stability. However, his death triggered a fight for succession, which was described by the Roman historian Plutarch. The throne was seized by the commander of the army, who named himself Artaxerxes III, and promptly murdered all of the royal family to secure his position. The new king spent the first part of his reign trying to regain the previously lost province of Egypt. At the same time, the growing power and territory of Philip II's Macedonia was also attracting Persian attention. So in 340 BC, Artaxerxes dispatched a force to help the Thracians, who were then fighting against the Macedonians. This act provided the justification given by Philip and then Alexander to retaliate. Our main source for Artaxerxes II is the Greek historian Diodorus of Sicily. He tells us that by the end of his reign, effective power had concentrated in the hands of his chief minister, a eunuch named Bagoas. But when the king and his minister fell out, Bagoas, worried about losing his position of privilege, poisoned the king and replaced him with the royal prince, Arces, whom he thought would be easier to control. However, things did not go according to plan, as Diodorus continues. End quote. The young king let it be known that he was offended at Bagoas's previous outrageous behaviour and was prepared to punish the author of these crimes. So Bagoas anticipated his intentions and killed Arces and his children also, while he was still in the third year of his reign. The royal house was thus extinguished, and there was no one in a direct line of descent to claim the throne. Instead, Bagoas selected a certain Darius, a member of the court circle, and secured the throne for him. As to Bagoas, an odd thing happened to him, and one to point a moral. Pursuing his habitual savagery, he attempted to remove Darius by poison. The plan leaked out, however, and the king, calling upon Bagoas, as it were, to drink to him a toast and handing him his own cup compelled him to take his own medicine. End quote. The Darius described became Darius III, whose ascension occurred about the same time as that of Alexander in Macedonia, that is, in autumn 336 BC. It should be borne in mind that we have, unfortunately, no other sources to corroborate Diodorus. In fact, some sources suggest that other individuals who were supposedly poisoned by Bagoas were still alive years afterwards. Since there are no Persian royal texts or monuments for Darius's life and reign, we must rely solely on Greek historians, who were mostly interested in depicting his life in contrast with the brilliance of Alexander the Great. It appears, though, that at least in the first years of his reign, Darius was successful in establishing his authority within his kingdom. 
Back in Greece, Alexander wanted to safeguard his northern and western borders before crossing to Asia. So in the spring of 335 BC, he sent his troops to subdue the neighbouring Thracians and Illyrians, forcing their rulers to flee with their troops. While Alexander was campaigning in the north, the Thebans and Athenians rebelled. Alexander immediately headed south. While the other cities hesitated, Thebes decided to fight, but the Theban resistance was ineffective, and Alexander razed the city and divided its territory between other cities. The end of Thebes cowed Athens, leaving all of Greece temporarily at peace. Alexander would always reward those who acknowledged his power, but ruthlessly punish anyone who betrayed his trust or defied his ambitions. So with Greece in a peaceful but grudging alliance, Alexander led a joint Macedonian and Greek army to fulfil his father's ambition of invading Persia. It is estimated that Alexander led five and a half thousand cavalry and thirty thousand infantry. On crossing the Hellespont Strait from Europe to Asia, he cast a spear into the earth, thereby symbolically claiming the Asian continent for himself. Before I go, I'd like to say a few words about this podcast. The music at the beginning of the podcast is Mars, the bringer of war, the first in the planet suite by Gustav Holst. He was writing this exactly 100 years ago in early 1914, unaware the First World War was about to break out. Secondly, on the website www.historyeurope.net, I have listed the first ten battles. After Galgamela, I'll move on to the Battle of Zama, when Hannibal fought the Roman Republic. Next, the Battle of the Teutoburg Forest, when the army of the first Roman Emperor, Augustus, fought an alliance of Germanic tribes. Next, the Battle of Milvian Bridge, part of a Roman civil war, before the Battle of the Catalonian Fields, when a dying Western Roman Empire fought the Huns of Attila. Battle number seven is the Battle of Yamuk, when the Arabs fought the Eastern Roman Empire at Syria. After that, the Battle of Tours in southern France, followed by the Battle of Brunnenberg in Britain, and the Battle of Leckfeld in Germany. Next week, I will complete the story of the Battle of Galgamela. Thank you for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.